please turn with me this morning to our reading, which comes from Second Thessalonians. So we'll be looking at chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Now for context, I'm going to begin at verse uh, 13 and read to the end of 17. So hear with me then the reading of God's word. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. As far as reading of God's word. Now we've spent many weeks together in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, but today we draw to an end. A chapter that started with the Apostle addressing the saints' concern that the Lord's second advent had already occurred. But in this chapter, Paul informs them that in fact it has not occurred. And he tells them that first, the rebellion and the revealing of the man of lawlessness must take place. He then told them that something currently restrains the man of sin and informed them that it was by Satan's power that this man of sin works deception. He went on to tell the church that it is because of this deception that many will perish and not be saved, falling away from the faith. Finally then, we read last week of Paul's efforts to bring comfort and encouragement to the church after hearing of the mass rebellion and destruction that will come to so many who profess Christ. And he tells them that although those who refuse to love the truth and reject Christ will not be saved, but instead suffer eternal destruction, this will not be true of them. And we looked at verses 13 and 14 where Paul tells them that God has chosen them from the beginning, before the foundation of the world. And he gave them two reasons that they can be sure of their election and that they would not fall away. And he said that that was their regeneration by the Spirit and by belief in the truth. And Paul explained to them that they came to believe in that truth through the internal call of God. It was that irresistible call that drew them unto the Savior so that God's purposes might stand and ensuring that they will obtain that future glory with Christ. Right? That is their comfort. So they should be relieved of their fear. And now, this week in verses 15 to 17, Paul exhorts the saints and he also prays for them. The exhortation Paul gives in verse 15 explains to the saints as those chosen by God how they will remain and persevere in the faith until the end. And in verses 16 and 17, Paul prays for them and describes for us how that will be accomplished, or more importantly, who it will be accomplished by. And so we will look at our text this morning under three headings. Point one will be, what anchors us? Point two is, who anchors us? And then point three will be for application. And that point will be, what this teaches us? So to begin, why do I use the term anchor to describe what Paul is saying? Well, I use it because I think it's a good metaphor which is helpful to us in describing what Paul means 
when he exhorts them to stand firm and hold fast in verse 15. Now we all know what an anchor is and what an anchor does. Right? It's a device used to sink down into the bed of a body of water and what it does is pre- prevent the boat from drifting due to high winds or strong currents. And so an anchor is a very crucial part of any boat or ship that goes out to sea because without it, you can be pushed off track, sent in the wrong direction, being tossed back and forth, losing course, and causing a great amount of damage. Yet there are also ships who have malfunctions and lose their anchors while out at sea because they have not maintained the anchors. And yet other ships have very strong and sturdy anchors because their maintenance was kept up so that they remain firmly planted and unmoved by wind and sea. And so we see the importance of having a strong, working anchor as opposed to not having one or neglecting its upkeep because having or not having an anchor could be the difference between life and death. And what I've described here bears a close metaphorical relationship to our text and really all of chapter 2 for that matter. Chapter 2 was written for the express purpose of telling the church in Thessalonica to not be deceived. In verse 2 we read that Paul says not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Paul's concern is that they were not well anchored in the ground. And because some of them were not well anchored, they have allowed themselves to be upset by these false teachings. And others being duped have fallen away from the true faith completely. They, like a ship not anchored into the ground, have been swept up in the winds and waters of deception. But this is because they were not found to be firmly settled in the word and in Paul's teaching. This is why Paul exhorts the saints in verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And there are two things here that that I want us to see. First is that they were not to be moved by what they were hearing, but instead told to hold on to something. And that holding on to that Paul speaks of denotes for us the idea of someone grasping tightly something with both hands. As many of you are parents, you remember playing with your child. And when they were young, they would wrap their arms around your neck and you would pretend as if they were going to fall if they let go. And so they grasped their hands together tightly behind your neck and try to hang on for dear life. This is the picture Paul paints for us here, as he exhorts all the saints to do this very thing, if they are to remain in the faith until the end, and that is hold on to the truth tightly, with both hands, and don't ever let go. We are to dig in like an anchor digs into the seabed, and a ship that has two anchors is even better than a ship who has one because it offers greater security that the ship will stay in its place. And we too are to make sure we hold on to the truth, not with one hand, but with two. Not holding on to it in a casual manner or a lackadaisical manner, but holding on to it as if your life depended upon it. Because it does. And if we know this, why wouldn't we take this exhortation seriously? 
You know, I can remember as a teenager never liking carnival rides. We've all been to the fair or to the festival, and we probably uh, have all been on those rides before, but I was terrified of those rides. But when you're there with your friends, you tend to get persuaded to go on because you don't want to look like a chicken. But once that bar dropped over my lap and it locked in place and the ride began, I clung so hard to that thing and refused to let go, thinking that if I did, I would fly out and die. You see, this is how we ought to cling to God's word when we learn that this is the way he keeps us away from deception and condemnation and keeps us trusting in him and growing in love and peace and patience and strength. Because you see, although God has chosen us from the beginning to be saved, He works through means. Right? That's why if someone says, well, if you believe in election and irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints, then you don't have to do anything because if God ordained it, nothing will stop it. You see, but what they fail to understand is that God will bring it to be, but He does so through means. He will cause us to be anchored and He will strengthen our faith so that it will not fail and he will enable us to not be deceived through the wisdom and discernment, but he will do so through means. He uses exhortations and admonishings and teachings and preaching and prayer to accomplish what he has ordained to come to pass. And so, no, we don't say, I'm elect and sit back and do nothing. In fact, this is what Paul emphasizes here. We do something by the working of the Spirit in us, so that we remain anchored. And that is the second thing I want us to see here. Paul says there's something we must do in order to stay firmly planted and unmoved by the allurements offered to us through the power of Satan. And what does Paul say? He says we're told to hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our word or by our letter. Now it's obvious that at this time we all know that they don't have a Bible written and bound in 66 books like we have today, as his books were still being written. But what he says is hold on to his oral, authoritative teaching, as well as the written teaching that they had received. And what he taught orally as he spoke to them is what was eventually recorded for us. It wasn't any different. This is why he can say in verse 5 of chapter 2, don't you remember I told you these things? Right? What he once spoke to them, he now records for them. Now sometimes people will take this statement and say, you see, not only are believers to trust the, the written word as authoritative, but you must also agree with a, uh, with a particular church's teaching and their tradition as well. Right? Some hold them to be equal to the written word because they see themselves just like Peter or Paul. But this isn't at all what Paul is saying, nor is Paul's authoritative teaching equivalent to those who claim to speak authoritatively today, or even during the time of Jesus. Christ himself spoke out against that belief, that church leaders' teachings were on par with Scripture. In Matthew 15, the scribes and Pharisees tried to oppose upon Jesus and the disciples the teaching of their elders. And what does Jesus say they were doing? teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers were divinely inspired, and so Paul's teaching was unique, and it was that teaching that was later recorded in Scripture. 
You see, those who speak today cannot claim divine inspiration since the canon is closed. So no one can claim the authority today that Paul spoke with then. Right? There's nothing any man can say that can rise to sit equally alongside Scripture. The church's teaching that we have been handed down is like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself who is the cornerstone. There are no more prophets and no more apostles and thus no new revelation. And so for us today, if we want to be anchored in the faith, and if we want to be protected from deception, and if we desire assurance of faith, then Paul says, God has provided to you the means to keep you in Christ unto the very end. And that is his word, the sacred scriptures. And if you love them, and if you do not forsake its teachings, you will not be uprooted from the faith, if only you but grip it tightly as your soul source for all spiritual knowledge as everything you need for salvation and godliness is contained therein but don't think that you will be anchored and feel secure in your salvation if you disregard this command holding fast to the word is the way you stand firm holding fast to the scriptures is the way that you become like that ship who has two anchors dug into the seabed. Right? And the people on that ship can rest their heads and fall asleep easy at night, knowing they aren't going anywhere, no matter how strong the wind and sea. And just as the strong and sturdy anchor through must be watched and maintained and kept up, we must be maintaining and watching over our own souls. And so the more you keep yourself in the Word, to that proportion you ought to feel secure, and your soul ought to be strengthened, and not easily upset by others. But if you stop reading, and if you stop going to church, and you care very little for these things, then you are neglecting the very means God uses to keep you from falling away, and you can't feel like your anchor will hold. This is why it's so important to constantly be in the Word and to hear it preached and to pray the Word and to sing the Word and to become familiar with the Word, constantly searching out its depths so that we too can rest easy, knowing that we won't be swept away and driven from the Savior by every new doctrine and teaching that arises. And thankfully, brothers and sisters, we don't accomplish this by our own strength, grit or determination because if it was up to you and me we most certainly would not keep ourselves afloat but we'd be overcome by this world and the things of the world but fortunately for us Paul says that it is Christ Jesus himself and God the Father who empower us to persevere to the end right? they are the reason that we are anchored in the faith and this leads us into point two which is who anchors us you see, just as there's a, a cause behind the dropping of a ship's anchor, there too is a cause that anchors us in the faith and allows us to stand firm and hold tight. And Paul points that cause out in his prayer in verse 16. He says it's the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. Now what's interesting here is the order in which Paul prays. 
He says, Christ first and then the Father. If you recall from chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we see here in our text that Paul has inverted the order. And why can Paul do that in this inspired letter? Because Father and Son are co-equal in dignity and power. They are co-essential in their nature. And they are co-eternal. And so here, Paul, in placing Christ first, testifies to us of our Lord's divinity. And yet, perhaps, Paul also puts Christ first here, because he knows that without Christ, we can expect nothing from the Father. We are reconciled to the Father through Christ. Our Father-Son relationship is predicated on being in Christ. And so Paul's confidence to draw near to the Father in prayer, asking for God's gracious benefit to be bestowed on these saints, is based on Christ being the mediator between God and man. Now the purpose of the prayer we see is to ask for a continuance of God's grace. And yet we are able to ask for a continuance of grace only because God first initiated the very beginnings of grace in our lives. Paul says of God in verse 16, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. You see, it was love that motivated God to save us and to give us by His grace eternal comfort and good hope. Hear what the author to the Hebrews says of this comfort and hope in chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, who we have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. You see, the author says that God gives to us encouragement of our present salvation, yet at the same time, we are given hope, which looks forward to being with Christ in heaven for all of eternity. And this only comes about through God's grace. We can't stand firm or hold fast or have comfort or hope unless God has first given us grace and anchored our souls. But this is only for the believer. And yet the unbeliever wouldn't even want this to begin with. They're at enmity with God. They don't want to be encouraged about a salvation they don't believe they need. And they don't need hope concerning their eternal destiny because they only care about life as they presently have it. Not having given any serious thought to eternity. Right? They care nothing for their souls. They just want to please the flesh. As we've seen earlier in chapter 2, those who have refused the gospel and refused to love Christ have no desire to obey Paul's command. It is only the believer who has a desire to obey and to seek out God for greater ability to continue in that obedience. And Paul understands this. This is why he asks in verse 17 that the God who has loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace would then comfort their hearts and establish them in every good work and word. If they are to continue to stand firm and hold fast 
They need the Lord who has anchored them in the faith to continue to supply them by His power the ability to obey and to grow in understanding, wisdom, and knowledge over the entirety of their Christian life so that it affects every aspect of their life, word as well as deed. Yet Paul recognizes that this can only be done when the hearts of the saints are comforted. This is why he asked to comfort their hearts. You see, the heart that is shaky and unsure and discouraged is likely the one who will fall away because they aren't solidly anchored. But the one who has a heart that is comforted by God's grace and has assurance and trust in the promises of God and has experienced God-answered prayer, they are more likely to then live a life of constancy of faith and practice because their faith has roots. Right, their anchors have sunken in beneath the seabed. And this should comfort each one of our hearts and motivate us to every good work. We know that God's grace will hold us up. It will sustain us. It will keep us in Christ. God who has anchored us continues to care and watch over us and has provided for us means to and response out of faith more strongly anchor ourselves in the faith so that we will not depart. But what must we do if we desire this grace to comfort and establish us in the faith? This leads us to our third and final point this morning. What we are to take away from the text or what we can learn from it. And it is this. Comfort, encouragement, peace, strength, assurance. They are all gotten by prayer. If it's your desire to obey God, but are shaken by something, search out God's word and then pray. Pray that God would grant to you strength of heart and that he would remove any unbelief that still resides within it. Don't look to other avenues to provide you any sort of spiritual comfort because they will all leave you disappointed. This world cannot give you the peace and comfort you so desire. Only Christ can. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, prayer provides an inner strengthening you cannot receive from anywhere else. Prayer is a time in which you, as adopted son or daughter, can go before your father and make your request known and know that he will answer according to his will. And so when we ask that he will grant us that we stand firm and hold fast, we can walk away with assurance knowing that he will provide because he has told us that this is his will for every Christian. Yet, let us not neglect or reject the means. Perhaps God seeks to give you strength that you pray for through hearing the preached word. So if you don't go to church to hear the word preached, how can you ever believe that God will bless you with what you've asked for? You can't. So let Paul's prayer motivate and teach us that when God commands something of us in His Word, we can go to Him and ask for the equipping grace to accomplish what He has called us to do, 
submit ourselves to his means and believe then that he will surely give it to us. Paul, when he had a thorn in his side, prayed that God would remove it. But what was the Lord's response? My grace is sufficient. You see, God had a purpose for Paul being stricken with the thorn, but made sure that as Paul dealt with it, he was equipped with all the grace he needed. Also, let our confidence be found in the fact that we are approaching a God who loves us. A God who loves when his people cry out, Abba, Father. It is a warning. Let us also learn not to take the exhortations of Scripture lightly. So many Jew and Gentile alike throughout Scripture heard the exhortations to repent and believe and cling to Christ and His Word, and they refused it. They valued it very little. We read in John's Gospel, chapter 6, and verse 66, that many turned back after hearing Jesus' teaching and did not walk with him anymore. And in response, Jesus says to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Peter responded with this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Those who have no care for the world will refuse it, and eventually fall away and be driven from Christ through Satan's deception. But we ought to feel in the very depths of our souls, having experienced the risen Christ, the exact same thing expressed in Paul's words. You have the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? And in knowing this, we are also to see the importance of studying then Christian doctrine. It is not to fill your head with empty knowledge, but instead fill our heads and our hearts and our souls with words of eternal life, which equip, strengthen, and guide us in our life. And if we truly believe that, trusting in Christ who is eternal life, and if God has caused you to see that and love the word, then stand firm. Listen to this exhortation, and by grace seek to be ever more anchored, deep, into the inerrant, infallible, and inspired Word of God. Brothers and sisters, please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, you are the anchor of all existence. You are the author and source of all blessedness. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless your people with greater ability and desire to know you. May you cause us to evermore walk in your ways and rejoice in you and find an even greater enjoyment of those blessings of our eternal life now. We ask, Lord, that you always keep us longing after your word. And we pray that as we experience trials or hardships, that in the Holy Spirit we would find comfort. Father, we pray that you would make us worthy of this calling, that the name of Jesus may be glorified. It is in his name that we pray this day. Amen.